So definitely one of our priorities is to continue serving the people in our industry to the best of our ability. We're really spending the time listening to people in exhibition, people in distribution. What is it that you need from us? One of the things that we're really heavily focused on is mental health. We're spending the time talking to clients that we've helped, finding out how are things going? How have things gone since receiving assistance from the Pioneers Assistance Fund? This is the Box Office Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering the world of theatrical exhibition. Here once again with our box office analyst, Jesse Rifkin. Together, we're going to be going over the box office here in North America and around the world with the opening weekend of Thor, Love and Thunder. Jesse will be looking at the marketplace as this latest MCU title opens around the world. We'll also be going over the latest release changes here in the domestic marketplace. And we are ending today's episode with an interview with the new executive director of the Will Rogers Motion Pictures Pioneers Foundation, Christina Bloomer. She will be joining us in the feature segment later on today. But let's get started. Jesse, it's great to be back with you. How was your weekend? Did you get to go to the movies? Yes, I did. Friday, I went to see Thor Love and Thunder in IMAX 3D. Ooh, a 3D ticket. I haven't had one of those experiences in a while. I think, honestly, like a decade. You say you haven't seen a 3D movie in a decade. I've seen two in the last two months because they've been doing the Avatar The Way of Water trailer in 3D. So they've been playing that before both uh, Thor Love and Thunder and before Doctor Strange uh, in the Multiverse of Madness, which came out last month. So I've now seen it twice. It's great to hear that uh, the industry is working hard on getting 3D back in moviegoers' minds. It's great to hear that you went and you saw this trailer of an upcoming big tentpole in 3D and can get excited about it now for the last two big MCU titles. Uh, and talking about Thor Love and Thunder, this movie actually played in that 3D format in select theaters around the world. What was that premium large format market share for this film? Because we know that PLF has just been taking a lot of attention from moviegoers recently. Yeah, it did very well in several markets, including in South America. 3D accounted for 48% of the box office for this film in Argentina, almost half, 33% in Brazil. Here in the States, uh, Disney did not break out 3D specifically, but it did say that premium formats, which include you know 3D, uh, motion seating, IMAX, uh, cumulatively accounted for 36% of Thor Love and Thunder's box office this weekend. Oh, that's great to hear. And overall, what was that uh, overseas and domestic split on Love and Thunder? Because I think this opening weekend globally was above 300 million. Is that correct? Yeah, 302 million to be exact. It was a 302 million globally. That's uh, 143 million domestically and 159 million overseas. So fantastic start with Thor Love and Thunder. I think within the range of expectations here domestically, overseas, it's always great to see that, that $300 million figure as a general opening weekend. Some major markets still yet to release. So we will continue tracking these global figures for Thor Love and Thunder. Good news there with that title, but we had a big drop here in weekend two for Minions domestically. Jesse, what was that uh, final gross for Minions The Rise of Peru in its second frame in North America? Yeah, so it dropped by 57% in its sophomore frame. Now that is the steepest drop of any of the five films in the Despicable Me slash Minions franchise. Here's, here's a quick comparison. So this one dropped 57%. The first Despicable Me, 42%. 
the second one 48%, the third one 54%, and the first Minions film, which was from 2015, that dropped 57%. So this one's dropping pretty far, pretty fast. Yeah, I think that's a concern. But if we look at how that market opened up this last weekend, there's a lot of overlap in family audiences between Minions, The Rise of Gru, and Thor, Love and Thunder. Basically, these are two franchises that I think appeal to the same group of people. Um, I wouldn't really see this as symptomatic of any issues with family audiences coming back to the movies. I think simply there's a lot of competition in the market right now. And we see that with the rest of the market. I think we've had very strong holds from Top Gun Maverick, which is now near nearing $600 million domestically. Just a fantastic, fantastic benchmark. Elvis, uh, a title from Warner Brothers, now nearing $100 million in the domestic market. That's up to $91 million after last weekend. And Jurassic World Dominion now hitting $350 million domestic. We have to look at the big picture here, Jesse. I, I always say this when we, when we talk to press, when we talk to other colleagues in the industry. And it looks like we finally are at that level in the box office in North America where there are different titles for different audiences and films are competing with one another. Looking at those year-to-date numbers, Jesse, how is 2022 looking like in comparison to other years domestically? It's getting better by the week, Daniel. Uh, box office for the year right now domestically stands around $4.2 billion. Now that's about 30% behind the same point in 2019, the last full pre-pandemic year, which at this point uh, was around $6.0 billion. But that number keeps going up. At the end of last weekend, the year-to-date number was about 32% behind 2019. Now it's up to about 30%. By next weekend, it's probably going to be somewhere in the, the high 20s, 29 or 28%. So it keeps ticking up and up and up. I'm not sure that over the course of this year, it's actually going to equal 2019 at any point. That is probably too much of a stretch, but we might get to that, fingers crossed, uh, next year in 2023. I think that's the expectation for most people in this industry. I've always talked about our expectation for the domestic box office this year to be graded on a curve because we don't know what sort of surprises COVID is going to bring. I think the absolute best case scenario would be 10 billion. I'm not sure we're going to get there, uh, especially right now we're at 4.2. But if we hit 9 billion, that's basically an A minus for me. That's a very good result. If we hit eight, that's a B minus. That's okay. The way I'm looking at this, considering this for the rest of this year, is really 8 billion and above to build on. So hopefully, as you say, in 2023, things start looking better. Looking at the top studios so far this year, Jesse, some really interesting insights. Paramount going into the second half of 2022 is the only studio above the billion dollar mark. I remember it wasn't that long ago when we were all at CinemaCon wondering what Paramount was going to do without any bankable IPs. We didn't really know what their strategy was going to be moving forward. Now they're sitting with the biggest domestic box office head of the year in Top Gun Maverick and being the only studio domestically to top out over $1 billion. Looking further down that list, Universal in second place with $883 million and Disney in third with $670 Let's start with Paramount, Jesse, because I think this is a great success story in this industry and a great testament on what theatrical exclusivity can do when it's paired 
with a sensible release strategy with streaming, as Paramount has done with Paramount and Paramount Plus. Paramount is the only distributor which is above $1 billion right now. Obviously, the lion's share of that is due to Top Gun Maverick, but also due to other films which they've released with theatrical exclusivity, like Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which did better than the original uh, Sonic the Hedgehog from 2020. The newest installment in the Scream franchise, the horror film franchise, this newest one from February performed better than at least the previous one or two or maybe even three films in that franchise. So Paramount's been doing real well. But we also have to look at that surprising placement for Disney. Third place of the year behind Paramount and Universal here among the top studios domestically. What's going on here for Disney, especially right now that we have great success stories coming off out of Thor, coming out of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Why do you think they're so far down? Well, they were the number one distributor in terms of domestic box office in 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019. So the last four full pre-pandemic years. Right now, they are in third place, as you mentioned, with 673 million. Now, some of that is because they are putting some of their films straight to Disney+, Plus, including a big missed opportunity by putting their Pixar film from March called Turning Red straight to Disney+. Plus. They probably lost more than $100 million in potential theatrical revenue with that. So a lot of people have zeroed in on Turning Red. But here's another thing that I don't think a lot of people have zeroed in on. Their Beatles documentary, Get Back, was originally supposed to be theatrical, and then they moved it to Disney+. Plus. They put it into theaters for one day only. One day only on the exact anniversary of the Beatles' rooftop concert, which is uh, prominently featured in the documentary. Um, I saw it the one day that it was in theaters with a friend. The, the auditorium was packed. They could have made some decent money, probably not $100 million, but maybe above $50 million if they had done a theatrical version of Get Back straight to theaters instead of putting it on the streaming service instead. It's really disappointing to see Disney in this position where they could have very easily done what Paramount has done and make sure that their theatrical releases are there to promote the streaming platform later down the line. A lot of missed opportunities. You have to wonder when that's going to catch up with them uh, when, when investors start asking serious questions. Let's also look forward to later on in the year, Jesse, because we've also received some release changes here from studios that are going to heavily impact the schedule as we get out of the summer. Uh, let's start with a big, big change here. One of the titles that we were really, really expecting to ignite that September frame at the box office, Salem Slot from Warner Brothers. That's out of 2022 entirely. Warner Brothers moving that movie from September 9th, 2022, all the way to April 21st, 2023. Uh, that's a big, big missed opportunity. The 20th Century Studios horror title, Barbarian, actually moving into that September 9th slot. So we will still have a horror movie in that position that we've had over the last couple of years. But not a Warner Brothers horror movie, because Warner Brothers horror films It and It Chapter 2 both opened in the September slot that Salem's Lot was originally supposed to have. It became two of the biggest horror films of all time. Salem's Lot is moving away from that month and potentially costing it a lot of box office as a result. Yeah, uh, you have to wonder with a release delay that large, if it's something having to do with production, perhaps reshoots, perhaps an edit. We don't know. We can't tell our listeners. But that is a big change, similar to another big change here, also in the September box office from Lionsgate. Another title that I think created a lot of positive buzz at CinemaCon out of the September 2022 box office, 
Are You There God? It's Me Margaret, originally scheduled earlier this year for that September 16, 2022 slot. That's also been pushed back to the end of April in 2023. Another big gap here on the market. I think if you pair those two changes along with a big change that happened earlier this summer, having moved uh, the next Mission Impossible installment out of September 22, later into 2023, there's a lot of holes on that schedule. I'm getting a bit nervous here. I'm looking at the schedule for September, Jesse. <laughs> it's going to be tricky. The positive news is that there's going to be a lot of original titles coming out at the box office, but there's no guarantee in the domestic box office in the month of September, maybe the biggest title here that has breakout potential is Brahmastra Part 1 Shiva, a Hindi title coming out on September 9th, being distributed by Disney. We've seen how Bollywood titles have really broken out at the box office, including that Telugu language title RRR. This one might have breakout potential. This is going to be, I think, a big film in India and one that can find a lot of audiences domestically. The rest of the month, however, titles that I really want to see, like uh, Sony's The Woman King, uh, Warner Brothers Don't Worry Darling, and uh, Bros from Universal. But let's face it, these aren't titles that come in with an established presence at the box office. I think we're all hoping, crossing our fingers, that audiences can connect with these original IPs. Yeah, September's always been a, a little bit of a weird month at the box office because it's after the May, June, July, August summer blockbuster season. And then it's before the October, November, December blockbuster slash award season. And that's really where It and It Chapter 2 changed the game. Those two films have the two highest September opening weekends of all time, both just attained in the last five years, which especially makes uh, Warner Brothers, the same studio behind those two films, moving their horror title out of September bit of a disappointment. So it's a big gap in the month of September. Uh, it's a good thing, I think, that we have so many great original titles with a lot of potential filling in that month. We'll see what is able to break out. We'll see what it's able to, to connect with audiences. I've been hearing a lot of great things from exhibitors that have already seen Don't Worry Darling. I'm not going to name any names here, but every exhibitor that I've talked to that has had an early opportunity to watch this movie has loved it. I know that Olivia Wilde is going to be putting a lot of effort for this to succeed in theaters. Let's see how that plays out. That's going to be opening on September 23rd. Now, Jesse, a second ago, you also mentioned how that fall corridor also brings in some award contenders, some uh, big blockbusters. We also have a couple of updates on the release calendar for that. Uh, James Gray's Armageddon Time, which received a lengthy standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival this year. That's actually going to be going well wide from focus on November 11th of this year. That's going to be a major theatrical awards contender coming into that early winter frame. And then looking a, a little further ahead on the schedule, we had some scheduling updates here for 2023. Jesse, Dune Part 2 got moved back slightly from October 20th, 2023 to November 17th, 2023. I think that's a good move. I think that puts it right in that Thanksgiving weekend corridor to make some great business. And a nice little bit of info here from Sony on an upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel. Yeah, it's uh, been announced for December 20th of next year, 2023, right for the Christmas week. I don't know if the Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel will be called Ghostbusters After Afterlife. We'll have to wait to find out. 
And as Jesse notes, that Ghostbusters After Afterlife uh, title is going to be coming out on December 20th, 2023, right before the Christmas corridor. So while we have some losses in the 2022 schedule, that 2023 calendar is shaping up and I think shaping up quite nicely. Uh, and as you were saying earlier in this conversation, Jesse, we have a lot of expectation for 2023 to get as much closer to that $11 billion benchmark at the domestic box office that we had grown accustomed to before the pandemic. Jesse, thank you so much for these insights. We always appreciate uh, having you here with us at the Box Office Podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And now let's move on to our feature segment where I will be speaking to Christina Bloomer, the new executive director of the Will Rogers Motion Pictures Pioneers Foundation. And we're here with Christina Bloomer, the new executive director of the Will Rogers Motion Picture Pioneers Foundation. Christina, when did you first join uh, Will Rogers? So uh, I joined Will Rogers actually back in 2009, if you can believe it or not, uh, as an intern in college. I was looking for an internship and the right person called Todd and um, he said, okay. (laughs) And that's uh, Todd Vredenberg to our listeners, who was the former executive director here at Will Rogers. Uh, Over the years, we all got to know Todd very well. And as I got involved in the industry, started to learn more about it and find out more about everything that Will Rogers does, I got to know you and Todd. You guys are basically my travel buddies here on the exhibition convention uh, travel schedule. Uh, I love what you guys do at the conventions. You wake up early. I always go to the gym. You and Todd would always beat me to the gym, no matter what convention it was. It seemed like you guys had been there for an hour before I showed up. Could you talk a little bit about some of those uh, activities that you guys have through Will Rogers at some of the regional conventions throughout the year to bring some of those health and well-being priorities uh, top of mind? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always would joke that uh, working for a health charity is both a blessing and a curse, right? So it really helps you stay focused on on the, the healthier habits in life. And then I had Todd, who was a former college athlete and football player. So he was very much into health and fitness. And it's difficult to say no to the big guy. So, yes, you are right. We were <laughs> often up in the hotel gym or, uh, you know, walking up and down the beach, depending on what part of the country we were in, really just trying to show people, look, you don't have to do a lot. You don't have to kill yourself in the gym. You don't have to go nuts. You don't have to feel like you, you're going to fall over at the end of the workout. Just get up and take a walk. And that that was how the, the walk with Will concept was born. It's just get up and take a walk, move your body for half an hour, take advantage of some of these beautiful places that we get to travel to. Uh, you know, yes, we're, we're on the travel circuit together. We got to go to some really cool places. And oftentimes the convention schedule and things of that nature, you find you never leave the hotel. So we really encourage people get up early, get it out of the way and enjoy some, uh, some of the beautiful places that we get to see. And it's something that I can recommend to anyone just starting out here in the exhibition industry, doing this convention travel schedule. Seek out the Will Rogers Foundation. Uh, They do some great things. The Walk With Will program is a great way to get up early and do a lot of organic networking. Get up and and get to know people, get to know some of your colleagues. It's It's a great way to start your days at these conventions because I have to tell you, I eat way too much of the complimentary movie theater nachos <laughs> at these conventions. I go oh, through at least two packs. So I need that walk with Will component to come back, you know, feeling okay. You're not alone. We all dig into those uh, nachos late at night when we get back to our hotel room. And, you know, we found that little groups of people that were just organically doing these walk with Wills on their own. 
even if we were at a show where we didn't actually have one official on the schedule and, and weren't doing uh, the traditional walk with Will in the sort of scheduled sense, we still had people, hey, you guys going to walk tomorrow? Hey, you going to walk tomorrow? We're like, <laughs> sure. So we found that that it was a really, to your point, organic way to get people networking and a nice way to kind of move your body, even if it wasn't official. So even if we don't have one on the schedule, please, I, I encourage you to come find me or or to find a group and walk. Absolutely. And if whoever graduates from Walk With Will, Juice Burt, the former co-CEO of Kinepolis, the Belgian multinational circuit, he's like a competitive runner. That guy runs at every convention. Like you'll see him at CinemaCon at 9 a.m. He's already done (laughs) at least five miles, even on like day four of CinemaCon. So just a heads up, it's Walk With Will before you graduate to running with Juice Burt. I love it. Here on the convention schedule. So we're talking about uh, Will Rogers and some of the activities uh, that you guys do here in helping the industry come together and promote healthy decisions and the well-being of folks working in exhibition and distribution. Uh, For our colleagues maybe listening in that aren't as familiar with the Will Rogers Motion Pictures Pioneers Foundation, could you talk to them a little bit about what the foundation does and some of your big priorities apart from the health and well-being aspects that we just discussed? Sure. So our full name is the Will Rogers Motion Picture Pioneers Foundation, and we operate three distinct programs. The Will Rogers Institute, which was the one that would run the Walk with Wills, is our pulmonary health program or our public health program. That is the health charity side of our organization. And that is an ode to the Will Rogers Hospital in Saranac Lake, New York which is where we started. That's where our roots are. So we started as a tuberculosis sanitarium back in the late 1920s. Uh, So that's where our roots in pulmonary health come from. So to this day, we still fund pulmonary research at various educational institutions across the country and uh, just promote general health and wellness. And in addition to that, we have our Pioneers Assistance Fund program, which is probably what we're most well-known for, particularly over the last couple of years uh, within our industry, which is our social services program. We provide financial assistance and supportive counseling to members of the motion picture industry, primarily those who work in exhibition, distribution, uh, trade services, and vendors exclusive to the sector. So we have two social workers on staff and we provide one-on-one services, individualized services to members of our industry who have fallen on hard times. We help with a lot of healthcare expenses, help with a lot of uh, medical concerns, Really, accident, illness, injury are the the main reasons why someone would come to us. So something traumatic happens, uh, whether it be a natural disaster, hurricane, flood, fire, most recently a pandemic. Uh, So something kind of out of the ordinary that's going on in someone's life that would bring them to us. A job loss, someone passes away in the family, an illness, things of that nature. So that's probably what we're most known for, particularly over the last couple of years. And you're also collaborating with another institution called Film Row to have some interesting networking and early career events here in the industry. I mentioned uh, how my first days in the industry, a lot of what I learned was actually a lot of the networking that I got to do through not only yourself and and Todd at the Will Rogers Foundation. You guys are always there. You have an in-person presence. And Film Row seems like an extension of, of that sort of glue that you that you act as here in the industry. Yeah, that's actually, thank you. That's actually an excellent way to put it as, as Film Row being an extension of the Will Rogers Motion Picture Pioneers Foundation. 
And really, the I, I have to give the credit to my predecessor, Todd, for coming up with the concept and the vision of this. You know, I, I helped with the execution for sure and obviously carrying it on. But but really, the idea came from him and it was modeled after YPO or Young Professional Organization. And it is a, a training ground for the next generation of leaders to develop their skills and to provide a place where they can learn and grow and network. And, you know, over the last several years, even pre-pandemic, the business has shifted a little bit. You know, the origins of the Film Row name that that this group now carries comes from these Film Row sort of depots around the country that would exist. And it was this natural place, both, both a physical place where, you know, the film reels would be delivered and where people would come and pick up their marketing materials for the theater. Um, but it was also where they would socialize and network because they were already there. And as these film row depots closed and as the regional offices around the country closed, you know, the, those natural opportunities for training and mentorship and networking kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. And then you add in on top of that, this remote working and this Zoom culture. And again, even pre-pandemic, there were people who, who worked remote. So really this came out of an idea to create a place where the next generation of leadership can network with one another, learn, grow. And, and Film Row has taken that idea and just run with it. You know, Melanie Valero was their first president and that's who we sort of presented this idea to. Um, you know, she was involved heavily with the Motion Picture Club in New York, which does kind of provides a similar space, um, much more social. But so she kind of had this idea already ingrained in her from the New York side of the business. And we just took bits and pieces of that and expanded on it to provide a place for young leadership to develop. And I, I can tell you, this is such a great industry to be a part of. But when I first started working, uh, covering exhibition, going on this travel schedule that we all go to Miami, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, uh, Dallas, Texas, it was a little bit intimidating, not really knowing everybody. It's a big global industry, but it's still a first name industry where we refer to ourselves through the first name and you kind of know who you're talking about whenever you say a first name <laughs> within that context. Now, you yourself, you mentioned it. You started back with Will Rogers in 2009. You were just named the first woman executive director of the Will Rogers Foundation since Lois Lewis in 1975. Congratulations. I'm so happy that you're stepping into this role. Could you go over your experience getting involved in the industry through the Will Rogers side of things. Sure, absolutely. Yes, thank you. You know, the, my involvement, as I mentioned, started way back as a college intern. So I was very green to use a term that I didn't learn until I got here. But I didn't know much about the way the film industry worked from a business side of things. Of course, I had been to movies and gone to movies and my mother was in the business um, for many years. And so I had heard about it, but it just always been on the sidelines of it. And you're right. One of the very first things that I noticed is how much people know each other so well and have known each other for so long. It is very much first name basis. And it was very overwhelming at first because you just feel like you're jumping into this family that everyone knows each other and they know each other's history, both work history, personal history, and, and sort of the, the evolution of each of these people. And it takes a while to pick up on that. And you really need to have uh, someone mentor you through the process. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have landed at Will Rogers and to have had Todd there to be able to guide me 
And, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm so proud of Film Row um, and particularly their mentorship program, because you really do need someone to guide you through that. So I came up through the ranks, as they say, organically. I, I started off as an intern and, and very slowly got handed more and more things to do. And when you work for a charity, particularly one with a pretty small staff, you wear a lot of hats. A lot of people in the nonprofit industry will say that is I wear a lot of hats. I'm, I'm the fundraising person and I'm also the operations person. And I'm also this person. So we all have our official job titles, but you learn a little piece of everything along the way. So I was really fortunate to have been able to do a bit of everything throughout my tenure here at Will Rogers. And it's landed me now in the hot seat. So I'm really <laughs> thankful for, <laughs> for the years that I had and the coaching that I had and the opportunity to be a part of this industry. And, and this charity. Well, you're also on the hot seat as we approach the first Pioneer of the Year dinner that you will be the executive director of. That's going to be coming up on September 21st in Los Angeles, where you're going to be honoring James Bond producers Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli. What can you tell us about that? Because that's always one of the big dates on the schedule, I think, for exhibition and distribution, this great event that supports uh, your association. Yes, this is definitely an exciting time. The Pioneer of the Year Dinner is something that we as an organization look forward to all year. We know that the industry and people who come to the event also look forward to it. So we're really excited. These are very high profile honorees and we are very honored to have both Barbara and Michael lend their names to this event. You know, the Pioneer of the Year Dinner is the major fundraising event for the Pioneers Assistance Fund. So it's really important to us, not only from an event standpoint, to put on a great event and have it be entertaining and and have everyone there, you know, have a great time, but really to raise money for the Pioneers Assistance Fund. So there is an expectation and a little bit of pressure, not only to put on a good show, but we really want to knock the fundraising out of the park. So I think people can expect a great show. I think they can expect a sellout. So if you are planning on coming, I encourage you to get your tickets, get your tables, because I promise you this will sell out. Uh, this is going to be our first black tie pioneer dinner in many, many years. You're so, asking exhibition to dress up. I know we've avoided it for a lot of years. So, you know, when you say that uh, this will be my first pioneer of the year dinner, we'll see how this black tie decision goes. But I think <laughs> I think if, if anyone can pull it off, it's Barbara and Michael. It's the James Bond year. I encourage everyone to just embrace it. You're going to love it. It's going to be a great time. It's James Bond themed. Let's put it that way. That makes perfect sense. If it's, if it's a James Bond style honorary dinner, you have to dress up. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a great evening. And that happens, I believe, that's the same week that the uh, NATO Fall Summit is going on in Los Angeles. Am I right about that? You're absolutely right. We're at the same hotel, uh, just 2019, when we honored Elizabeth Banks. We were at the same hotel as the NATO Fall Summit as well, and it worked out really nicely. You know, we it's we we want to partner with our community and with exhibition certainly as much as we can. So, bringing this event uh, to the Beverly Hilton Hotel not only is it a fabulous space to have an event, uh, there is a certain sort of air in the room at the Beverly Hills Hilton. So, we will be there at the same time as the NATO Fall Summit. So, hopefully, people who are coming to town for that make sure you stay for the dinner. It's a great opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, Christina, as we close up this interview with you, uh, I wanted to just look forward to everything that Will Rogers is planning to do here. As we now get to emerge from the pandemic, we finally get that opportunity to sort of step back and look forward as an industry. 
Now that you're the executive director here at Will Rogers, what are some of the priorities that you're looking at for 2023 at the organization? So definitely one of our priorities is to continue serving the people in our industry to the best of our ability. And we're really taking the time now, you know, now that the rush of the pandemic has slowed down and we have some time to sort of reassess and take a look back at what took place over the last couple of years. We're really spending the time listening to people in exhibition, people in distribution. What is it that you need from us? How can we serve you better? One of the things that we're really heavily focused on is mental health. And so we're really taking the time to put together resources and educational materials for people in this business to focus on their mental health, how to take care of it, how to recognize if maybe you do need a little help in that area. So we're spending the time talking to clients that we've helped, finding out How are things going? How have things gone since receiving assistance from the Pioneers Assistance Fund? I think that's a great initiative that you guys are rolling out. I know this has been a a very stressful time, I think, for a lot of folks that that have been through this pandemic, uh, especially coming out from exhibition and distribution. There were a lot of doubts on what the future of the industry would be. Fortunately, we we made it out, but uh, I think a lot of us are still carrying a lot of those uh, concerns, a lot more gray hairs. I can say that from a from a personal experience after the last uh, two years since 2020. But mental health, that's a, that's a wonderful priority to add to your docket over at Will Rogers. Christina, thank you so much for joining us here on the Box Office Podcast. And I look forward to uh, see you back at the gym at the next convention we've got coming up. And that is it for this week's edition of the Box Office Podcast. Thank you to our guests, Jesse Rifkin, our box office analyst, and Christina Bloomer, the executive director of the Will Rogers Motion Pictures Pioneers Foundation. The Box Office Podcast is produced every week by Box Office Pro in collaboration with Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. New episodes out every Thursday, so don't forget to sign up, subscribe, and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Ba 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 da da ba ba ba.